Lord Jesus, I thank you for how you have already been answering our prayer, Lord. How you have already been making yourself known in this time. Through the praise of your people, through the thanksgiving, God, through the prayers that we pray, you have made yourself known. And God, I am grateful. Would you continue to pour out the blessing on us this morning that we admit we don't deserve, but we still ask? Would you continue to be good to us this morning? Would you continue to make yourself known to us? Continue to mold us and to shape us into your own likeness this morning. So God, as we come to your word, may you bring your word to life. May you move in our midst. And Lord Jesus, as always, may I decrease and you increase this morning. May your people meet with their Father this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are continuing on in our series in the book of Mark, uh, and we are in Mark chapter 7, and a quick recap of kind of where we are coming from. Uh, last week, we were looking at Jesus doing what Jesus does uh, in his ministry, traveling around place to place, teaching, healing the sick, casting out unclean spirits. This is like Jesus' MO. Everywhere he went, here he goes. And you find there's different reactions uh, as he goes into different places. Most of the common people adore him and they're flocking after him. Those who are in like religious authority, those who have been teaching that the Messiah is coming for hundreds if not thousands of years, they're kind of disgruntled that Jesus is here. And so in our last uh, time together, we were looking at Jesus going around doing what he does, healing the sick, casting out unclean spirits and the Pharisees come up to him and they start to try to catch him on like little parts of their law. And if you remember from last week, they said, how come your disciples don't wash their hands like the elders teach? They're, they're trying to go, your, your guys aren't doing it right. They're not doing the things that we teach. And Jesus comes down hard on them. He quotes the prophet Isaiah at them that says, it's true what he said about you. You worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And he starts to speak very harshly against these people. And, and when his disciples come and they go, Jesus, what's, what's going on? He tells them, look, they are telling people they're unclean because of what they eat or because of how they, they don't wash their hands or whatever it may be, these ceremonial things. He says they've completely missed it. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him and makes him unclean, but it's what comes out. For out of the heart comes all kinds of wickedness. And then he lists all of these things. And we were talking about it and going, man, they certainly were missing it. Missing the, the true meaning of clean and unclean. They were looking at it of those who don't touch this kind of stuff, they're good. Regardless of what's happening inside. And Jesus was trying to flip this over on its head. And say, no, 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 no. It's actually what's on the inside that makes you clean or unclean. And he was trying to drive this home. It's, it's not just about actions anymore. God is now taking it deeper. It's about motives and intentions of the heart. Think of the Sermon on the Mount. How many times Jesus said, you've heard it said, and he would say things like, do not commit adultery. Don't act this way. He says, but now I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully in his heart has already committed adultery. And so Jesus is driving this home and going, this whole clean, unclean thing has way more to do with the heart than just this outward action. 
And we kind of discussed how we as a church can get caught up in this sometimes. Uh, of Just don't do these things. Don't hang around with these people. And you and God are good. But how Jesus is looking so much deeper than that. He's looking at the heart. So we, we continue now with Jesus doing again what Jesus does. Traveling around doing his ministry. But he's going to carry this theme on. So let's look in Mark chapter 7, 24 to 30. He, he being Jesus, got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she kept asking him to drive the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, allow the children to be satisfied first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. When she went back home, she found her child lying in bed, and the demon was gone. Every time I read this story, there's a very simple question that comes to my mind. Why was Jesus so mean to this woman? Like, when you read the Bible, you find that Jesus is different than how most people talk about Jesus. Most people talk about Jesus like he just walked around in love and rose petals everywhere and everything was always happy. And then you read the Bible and Jesus sometimes is harsh. And you go, I don't know what to do with that. This woman comes to Jesus and says, will you, will you heal my daughter? She has this unclean spirit. Will you cast out this unclean spirit? And Jesus calls her a dog. I don't know if you caught that. What? Why would he do that? That's not very Christian of him. Maybe he didn't know yet. Why would Jesus test this woman like this? I, I truly believe it was a test. As we looked at last week with the Pharisees, Jesus is all about bringing out what's on the inside. The religious at the time were all about keeping that in and just polish up the outside. Just act okay. It doesn't matter what's happening inside. Jesus was all about revealing what was happening with the heart. The Pharisees came and they said, your guys don't wash their hands. And he went, really? Your heart is wicked and evil and far from God. What's inside is what counts. And so when Jesus comes and he meets with this woman, and this woman is asking him, could Jesus have just gone, yeah, don't worry, it's done? Like, could it, could it have just been that easy? She asked, he said, cool, good. When he does that, if he would have done it that way, it would have become about what it's become about before to all of those watching. Oh, Jesus healed someone he wasn't allowed to. Jesus healed an unclean woman, and it would have been all about that. But when Jesus goes about it this way, in what seems to be a little bit mean and harsh, when he tests this woman, he gives her actually exactly what she expects. Every interaction this woman would have had with a Jew up to that point would have been one of, we're good, you're unclean, stay away. You are a dog. You're not even as much of a person as we are. This was the way the Jews treated anyone that was a Gentile. That is most everyone in here. Anyone who wasn't a Jew, a descendant of Abraham, you were less than. You were on the outskirts. You were untouchable. Couldn't eat with you. Couldn't talk with you in public. Could never set foot in your home, whatever it may be. You were a dog. Jesus gives this woman exactly what she expects. And here's why I believe he did it. 
to reveal what was in her heart. Instead of just Jesus saying, yeah, fine, no problem. I'll be the hero of this story. He said, I've just revealed what's in their heart and it was ugly. They're the ones who are supposed to be clean, but all that's coming out is unclean. Watch this. Here is this woman, a Syrophoenician at birth, meaning unclean from the day she was born. Let's see what's inside her. And what we see is a response of incredible faith. This unclean, untouchable, she gets it. She is accepted because what's inside is faith. And faith always moves the hands and feet of God. Look at her, uh, her response. Her, excuse me, Jesus' response to her. Because of this reply, you may go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. It wasn't just, when he says because of this reply, it wasn't just because you got the words right. Because you recited the right words. You phrased it correctly, don't worry. Because of the faith that your response revealed. Because of what your response reveals about what's in your heart, go, your daughter has been made well. We hear this all the time from Jesus. Your faith has made you well. This woman's faithful response, the faith that was in her heart revealed through her response, healed her daughter. And look at this, look at this response. It's, it's beautiful. He said to her, allow the children to be satisfied first. It isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Lord, even the leftovers of your power would be more than enough for what I need. You don't even have to bat an eye. Just say the words. You can keep moving. We don't even have to keep talking. Just drop some crumbs, and my daughter's good. The incredible faith of this woman. Much like the Roman centurion that we already read about, it wasn't this, come to my house, I need you to perform this great thing. It was just, look, you just speak the words, and it's good. This woman knew where Jesus is, things are different. If Jesus says, my daughter is free, my daughter is free. Lord, just drop some crumbs. I don't even need a full meal. The leftovers would be more than enough for what I need. This is an incredible act of faith on this woman's part. Even to go to Jesus, because again, she knew the rules. By all accounts, Jesus shouldn't even have looked at her when she was talking. But she comes and she begs him. Much like the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made well. This woman knew, man, if I can just get a second of his time, if I can just catch a couple crumbs that fall from the table, my daughter will be made well. And because of this woman's faith, Jesus responds. Jesus will always respond to faith. Always respond to faith. Faith is the conduit to the power and presence of God. It is our faith that actually connects us to the power and the presence of God. We're going to talk about this a little bit later. It's not that if we have faith, if we believe hard enough, God, like, it twists his arm and he has to do what we want. But our faith that God is able is what allows us to experience his power and his presence. With a lack of faith, it says in Hebrews eleven six, it is impossible to please God without faith. Without faith, there is no connection. But when the faith that's in our heart, like this woman, is exposed through our asking, 
we receive power and presence of God. No faith, no power and presence. Great faith, great access to power and presence. What about where most of us live? A little bit of faith. Jesus covered it. Matthew 17, 20, we know this. For I assure you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus isn't going, look, you got to be like some monster of the faith in order to see me move on your behalf. He goes, I will take what little you have, and I will make it enough. He wasn't saying, you know, you, you could have more than that, but you just chose to have a little bit of faith. He's going, sometimes, Jesus, this is all I've got. I don't know how this works. I don't even know what words to pray. I don't, like, I believe you can do something, will you? Just that little mustard seed of faith. He says he will take and turn into power, moving mountains, if we will bring it to him. So many times what we do is we tend to hold it back and protect it and go, until it's bigger, I could never. Uh, until I understand more, until I know how all of this is going to work, I could never go to Jesus with this. I could never ask for that. My, my faith is too small. And I think so many times we cut ourselves off at the knees because Jesus is going, bring it. I am the God that turns the seed into the tree. Bring it. If we will take our little bits of faith to him, we will see mountains move. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us what faith is. And it puts it like this. We're going to look at two different translations. The, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, which is the one I've been preaching from, says this. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. I, I love this translation, especially the first half. The reality of what is hoped for. The things that Jesus has promised, I believe are reality. I believe he can really do. I believe he really desires to do. My faith is taking those, those promises of God and going, Lord, if you want to move in that way, I know that you can. It, it, it's a reality if you say it is. The proof of what is not seen. The ESV says it like this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I can't see it yet. The Lord hasn't moved the mountain yet. But I believe through faith that if he says it, he'll do it. It is a reality just waiting to come true. It is a conviction that I have. The Lord always fulfills his promises. And so I'm going to ask expecting for him to move. This is the definition of faith. And this is what we see in this woman who comes to Jesus and gives an incredibly faithful response. I believe you can. I believe you will. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. Just drop some crumbs and it's done. Jesus speaks the word. She goes home and finds her daughter free from this evil spirit. Because of her faith, she experiences the power and the presence of God. Is this making sense, church? So let's keep going. Matthew 7, uh, 31 to 37, continuing on in the story. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who also had a speech difficulty and begged Jesus to lay hands on him. So he took him away from the crowd privately. After putting his fingers in the man's ear and spitting, he touched his tongue. 
Then looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephthatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, his speech difficulty was removed, and he began to speak clearly. Then he ordered them to tell no one, but the more he would order them, the more they would proclaim it. They were extremely astonished and said, he has done everything well. He even makes deaf people hear and people unable to speak talk. We're going to work through this story because it is such a cool story. But I want to start at the beginning, the part we normally skip over. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by the way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. Any of you ever been to those places? Me neither. I tend to read those and just kind of go, cool, and move on. But there is something unique uh, about this place that he's going. Chris, put, put the map up there for me if you would. I don't know if you guys can see this very much. But this is Jesus through the last couple chapters that we've been looking at, kind of going back and forth across the Sea of Galilee, all those times he's on the boat, walking on water, calming the storms. That's them. He goes up to Tyre on the top. That's where he meets the woman who was just healed. And then on his way back down through Decapolis, down here, this is where this miracle takes place. Here's something cool about Decapolis. We heard it mentioned in Mark chapter 5, if you remember this at all. There was this, they call it the demoniac man. The man who was in the rocks cutting himself and screaming out at nights. They tried to bind him, but he kept breaking the chains. Do you guys remember this man? Jesus comes upon him. He casts out the evil spirits. And it says there's so many, they call themselves just legion. They go into the pigs. The pigs run into the water and die. All the people of the town come out. Do you remember what they say? Hey, Jesus, thanks. That was really cool. No, you got to go. I don't know what the heck that was, but you got to go. All except the man who was healed. He comes to Jesus and he says, please, let me follow you. Let me go with you. Pick it up in Mark chapter 5, 18 to 20. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed kept begging him to be with him, but he would not let him. Why? Why wouldn't Jesus let this man follow him? It seems a little weird. Instead, he told him, go back home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. That man, the man that no one wanted anything to do with, as long as he was outcast in the mountains, they were fine. When he tried to come near the town, everyone panics. That man, after an encounter with Jesus, goes out as an evangelist preparing the way because a few weeks later, Jesus was coming through, and you better bet that that area was ready. People had their sick on a mat just waiting. If what this guy says is true when he comes by, I don't want to miss it. So as Jesus comes into the area, this place was primed because that man went back home and continued to proclaim the goodness of God in his life. So when they saw Jesus coming, they were ready for it. And so it says that they brought this man who had a speech difficulty to Jesus. And Jesus took him away privately. I don't know why. You would think, again, if I was Jesus and I was trying to, like, bring a kingdom on earth, I'd want everybody to see what was happening. But Jesus takes this man away privately. And he begins to pray for him. And he puts his fingers in the man's ear and then spits and then touches the man's tongue. And then says, be opened. Think about that. Jesus' fingers had to taste like earwax. You know what I mean? Like, 
when you really think about it, it's a weird thing. Sometimes Jesus just prayed. Sometimes, I mean, like the, the woman in the story right before, he just spoke it. She wasn't even there. Don't worry, your daughter's fine. And it happened. Sometimes he puts fingers in ears and touches tongues and spits in the mud and makes little cakes and put it on eyes. And sometimes he, he, there's a blind man. He puts his hands over his eyes and he prays for him. And he goes, how'd that work? And the guy goes, everyone looks like trees. And he goes, okay, round two. And he prays a second time. And then the man is healed. Why? Let me be very clear. I don't know. It seems weird. The beauty of it for us today is to know that there is no formula that we have to memorize. There is no, like, do it this way, speak only these words, stand on one foot, recite this, and maybe God will move. I truly believe that in all of those times, Jesus was just following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was a man like us. He was 100% man, 100% God. Something we've never seen before and we've never seen since. But he understands what we go through. I have to believe in the Holy Spirit. It was like, put your fingers in his ears. Huh? <laughs> Come away privately. I don't want anyone to see this part. Like, maybe that's why. I don't know. But Jesus was following the leading of God. He, he would say later in the book of John, I only do what I see the Father do. I just follow the commands of God. That, that was Jesus whole kind of life code. What God says to do, I do. And then he calls his disciples and says, go do what you've seen me do, which is watch the Father and do what he says. So I don't doubt that the Holy Spirit said, hey, put your fingers in his ears. Now touch his tongue and spit. Okay. Jesus, being the most faithful person we've ever met, acts in faith. He says, be opened, commands it, and immediately the ears were opened and his speech difficulties removed. He began to speak clearly. I love that at the end of this story, when the people just proclaim, he does everything well. Everything that the previously demon-possessed man told us is true. Everything we could have hoped for, everything we had put our faith in, when that man comes, we're running to him. It's all true. He does everything well. In the first story, you see that that little bit of faith actually moves the hand of God. And now we kind of see the continuation. When the hand of God moves, faith explodes. When the hand of God moves, all of a sudden that mustard seed becomes a tree. Are you kidding me? He actually did that for us? What's he going to do next time? What, why didn't we ask for something bigger? Why have we been waiting so long? Faith moves the hand of God, and when the hand of God moves, faith is built. Hallelujah. Mark chapter 8, 1 through 10. Continuing the story, in those days, there was again a large crowd. You better believe it. He does everything well. And they had nothing to eat. He summoned the disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way. And some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered him, no problem, Jesus. We remember what you did last time. Awesome. No. His disciples answered him, where can anyone get enough bread? 
here in this desolate place to fill these people. How many loaves do you have? He asked them. Seven, they said. Then he commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground. Taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. So they served the loaves to the crowd. They also had a few small fish. And when he had blessed them, he said these were to be served as well. They ate and were filled. Then they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. About 4,000 men were there. He dismissed them and immediately got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Jesus was so patient with his disciples. At some point in time in this three years, I would have been like, you guys are fired. I'm starting over. Like, legitimately, four weeks ago, I fed 5,000 men. We talked about 20,000 people, ballpark. We have less than that here now. And you guys are like, we don't have enough bread. Like, he's so patient with them. Like, that's why he's God and I'm not. I would have been like, all right, Maybe Peter can stay. He at least got out of the boat. The rest of you were dismissed. In this 4,000, there's got to be 11 guys that will get it better than this. But Jesus walks patiently with them. I don't, like, I try to give the disciples every benefit of every doubt because I'm not smart. And so, like, I get it. They mess things up. I don't get this one. I mean, legitimately, it's a month ago. And you missed it again. But what we see, the the greater lesson here, other than, oh my goodness, how they miss it, is what we see again is Jesus being moved by his compassion. Chapter verse 2 says this, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and they have nothing to eat. God is a compassionate God. Sometimes we have this, this view of God that he's hiding somewhere. And we have to say it all just right and do it all just right before he goes, okay, fine, here you go. We serve a compassionate God, a good father who is actually waiting to be found by his people. He desires to have compassion on his people. I truly believe that God is looking for those who are faithful enough to allow him to pour out his compassion. So often, what we do through our lack of faith through our lack of belief, our unwillingness to ask, is God's going, let me give you this gift. And we're going, no, 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 no. I'd rather do it myself. I'm too scared. That's too weird. I, I don't know what to expect. It makes me feel out of control, whatever it might be. And so you just keep it. I'll keep trying harder myself. I think it's in the book of James. I don't have it in my notes here. Where it says, you have not because you ask not. God wants to do these things on our behalf. We refuse to ask. Like the disciples, we miss it. We have seen God do amazing things. For those of us in here who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have seen him bring us, myself, from death to life. Transform me from the inside out, unrecognizable from the person I was 20 years ago. Mine happened in a day. From morning till afternoon, I was so different it freaked me out. Like, I went to the, ch- the only church that I knew of and literally panicky, you have to help me. Something's different and I don't know what's going on. We have seen God work miracles like that, yet we hesitate to ask for more. You have not because you ask not. Jesus is driven 
by compassion. He desires to pour his compassion out. He is not stingy. If you remember, one of the sins listed uh, in the last week when we looked at, when he's talking to the Pharisees, and he's talking about all of these sins that, and evil that comes out of the heart, and one of them he lists is stinginess. God is not stingy. He is a generous father waiting to pour himself out, waiting to move and to act on our behalf if we will ask if we will demonstrate faith as small as a mustard seed, we will see the hand of God move on our behalf. So oftentimes, when I'm preaching, this is the time when we would do some interaction, where I would ask a question and we would kind of talk and learn from each other. You guys are going to love that, right? Four of you, cool, 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 cool. We're gonna do it a little differently today. I believe wholeheartedly uh, that each week it's very important that we actually interact with each other, that we have opportunity to share with one another, to learn from one another, to use the gifts that God has given us. And that's what's kind of led to some of those discussion type things. This week, instead of discussion, we're going to try participation. This one is going to look a little different. And for some of you, this is going to make you feel uncomfortable, and I'm okay with that. It makes me feel uncomfortable, if I'm 100% honest with you. What we're gonna do is we're actually going to have anyone who has need stand, and any who are gathered around them are going to pray in faith over them. We are gonna seek the hands and the feet of God this morning. We believe that he is a good father, yes? We believe that he is powerful and capable, yes? We believe that he desires to move on our behalf, yes? We're simply going to ask him. So what I'm asking for here is that we pray prayers of faith. Prayers of faith simply meaning this. God, I believe wholeheartedly you are capable of doing this. Maybe I don't know if it's your will. I don't know if, if this is what you want to do. Again, I don't believe that if we pray the right words, we twist his arm and he has to do it. But God, we come asking you, a good father, to move in this person's life in this way to relieve this, to remove that, to heal this. We're going to pray expecting for God to move this morning. Now, this takes faith on two sides. One, for those of you right now who probably have something in your mind that you know you need prayer for, but you're going, I'm not really the stand in a crowd of people and ask for prayer thing. That one, actually, it's a little too close to the heart. I'm a little hesitant to even ask for prayer there because what if God doesn't move? That'll hurt even more, right? What, what if it, like, this is where faith comes in. Do we believe that he can? And do we believe that he is a good father who desires to pour himself out on his children? If so, to stand in faith and to proclaim to those around you, this is what I need God to do for me. And for those who are praying, to pray in faith, believing that he can, that he is able, and asking him to move in that way. There's a, a story that we will get to in a couple weeks in Mark chapter 10, but I just want to steal a line out of right now. It's a common question that Jesus asks. He's going through this town, and there's this man who, again, has heard about Jesus. His faith has been built up. Where Jesus is, things are different. And Jesus starts walking down his street, and this man is blind. And there's no one to lead him to Jesus. That He doesn't have that. So he just sits there on the side of the road yelling Jesus' name. And everyone keeps going, quiet, don't bother him. He's a busy man. 
but it says that he keeps yelling all the louder. And look at Jesus' response to him in Mark chapter 10. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up, he's calling for you. Listen to this man's response, I love it. He threw his coat off, he jumped up, and he came to Jesus. Rabboni, that means teacher, the blind man told him. I want to see, oh, I skipped a line, sorry. Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? Rabboni, the blind man told him, I want to see. Go your way, Jesus told him, your faith has healed you. And immediately he could see, and he began to follow him on the road. We'll get to this story in more depth in a couple weeks, but are we ready to throw off the coat, to jump up and run to Jesus, to show that kind of faith? Because here's a question that Jesus asks often in Scripture. What is it you want me to do for you? So for those of you who are going to be praying for someone, that's the, that's the only question I want you to ask. What is it you want Jesus to do for you? And then we're going to pray in faith. Here's the thing. I don't believe that Jesus always says yes. He is God and I am not. He has the ability to say no. What you're asking for is not actually what's best for you. I have a different plan instead. I don't believe Jesus always says yes, just because we prayed faithfully enough. But I do believe he desires to say yes far more than we've been asking. So we simply want to come to him this morning. What is it you want Jesus to do for you? And we're going to come in faith and ask him to move on your behalf. Here's the thing I can guarantee. Even if Jesus would say no to our specific request, our faithful response is going to cause him to move on our behalf. It may be in a different way. We are simply asking him to come and to move. Does this make sense, church? You guys ready? You do it. Yeah, and there are some of you in this room that are more practiced at this, that are more comfortable with this. Lead us. Um, I will tell you guys wholeheartedly, I'm somewhere in the middle of the pack. I have a, a lot of area to grow, um, especially when it comes to this praying in faith and, and seeking God's, God's face to move his hands. I was actually taught growing up in the church that this is actually something that, like, God may do something sometimes over on the mission field, but we don't really ask him for that here. And it was, it was very much downplayed. And so I don't come from a place of strength. I got this nailed, come follow me, church. I'm with you guys and just going, I don't know what to pray. I come into a lot of these going, man, Lord, do you even want to do that? Like, I, I don't know. And I ask him. The key being, wherever I feel like he leads me, I'm going to pray it faithfully. I'm going to pray boldly and trust him to move. Even if we make mistakes and we pray the wrong way, he's bigger than that. He's got us. So let's learn together, church, okay? Yes, okay, good. So, time to put our money where our mouth is. I don't actually want your money, Brandon. It's okay. <laughs> who has something that they need prayed for? For any who have something, please stand. Maybe it's a physical issue that we can pray over. Maybe it's a marital issue. 
Maybe you've got bitterness that you don't know how to let go of. Who needs prayer this morning? Would you stand?